Hello, whatnots. Welcome to a bit before the cold open of this episode of Baxter Building. It's very confusing, I know, but you'll understand in a second. We are covering 11 issues of the Tom DeFalco Paul Ryan run. And it's fair to say that we went somewhat long. And when I say we went somewhat long, I mean it's over three hours. And that's ridiculous for one episode of the show. So what we're doing is we're releasing this as two episodes on the same day. But I just didn't want anyone to download something and go, oh look, I have three and a quarter hours of things in one episode. Also, the idea of that file not being stupidly large was was terrifying to me. So consider this episode 44A and episode 44B will also be available in the feed at the same time, ideally, hopefully, potentially. We'll see. But yeah, this is half of an episode and the other half of an episode will also be around. Just telling you that up front. That's all you really need to know. Okay, with that, on with the show. We're doing 11 issues, but it's 11 issues all by the same creative team. Right. And they're fairly consistent <coughs> in their shitness. <laughs> you know, no, do you know what I mean? Like, it, I don't feel like at any point you're like, I mean, don't get me wrong the storyline gets significantly worse but i don't feel like there's a lot to say beyond like oh god this is a terrible idea well you know it the, it's funny you say that graham because <clears throat> on the one hand i'm like counterpoint <laughs> let them crash no i i kind of i don't say that i necessarily dug them um that they are as you pointed out oh, boy. really shit well but... oh boy that's not a good start jeff well but so here's I mean, i'm not saying i dug them but yeah they're my favorite issues of the fantastic four yet <laughs> exactly no 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 um you know uh i guess what i i want to say is is that there's there's something that i admire in them i i mean it's oh. Uh, which oh. I know, I know. Yeah, see, that's where I'm like. Uh. Okay, well, this is this is going to be a fun episode then because, I I mean, really, I was I struggled through these, and what's funny is, you may or may not remember, I read these pretty recently. Yeah, like I went through a period where I was just like, I'm going to read like the entire Defalco Ryan run in like three days. Right. And the first time I read them, I did speed through them. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is trash, but hey, right. you know. Yep. This is fun trash. Reading them again, remembering basically where everything goes, right, is is rough. Well, and I believe that. I let's put it this way. I believe I a I definitely believe that if you know where they're going, they're kind of ugh. B I the fact that you're re like as someone who didn't know where they're going. Yeah, I have no idea where they're going, and also it's my first time reading them through. Whereas, like this time would be like your third time, right? Because you yeah. read these when they originally came out. Well, I, yeah, I read the majority of them. So you like, read, right? Like I read issues by issues. Like three, I definitely read like three seven two, three seven three, three seven four, and then I think I skipped to like three seven eight or something. Right. So like I I read a bunch of them but yeah you know for some of them it's like my third time for the others it's my second right so the thing that i th i think is really weird is the to me I, and, and i think this might also be a thing is i don't think that i've ever this is probably the most tom defalco 
comics I've ever read in a row. And I'm not, I'm not even joking. Like, it's kind of like DeFalco was a guy who it's like, I knew enough about him, the general contours of his thing from reading like an issue of Thor here and an issue of FF here and a few issues of Spider-Man there. I was going to say, for some reason I thought Spider-Man would have been right up your alley. Uh, It should have been. I mean, and, and that's the one, that is an era that everyone loves, but sort of in that same way that like I quit, I quit the FF like, you know, like within like two years before burn shows up, it's like around two, like after 200, like a lot of, I drop a lot of books like Spider-Man after issue 200 or so, I just stopped buying it relatively early on, like 204, 205. And so when I was in college, I had friends who bought this stuff and it just, it, it, on the one hand, there was, you know, there's that great, like, Spidey versus the Juggernaut issue. Wait, that's Stern, though. I'm thinking Stern um, and Romita Jr., and then is it, like, DeFalco and Friends after that? Yeah, I want to say, like, yeah, I want to say it, it is, like, really quickly. It might even be, like, immediately after Stern that DeFalco takes over. Right, right. So, and kind of tries to continue along that course. And, and, and Friends definitely shows up super quickly afterwards maybe not immediately but super quickly yeah so so for me the spidey stuff when stern's doing it it's it was retro enough to be i was kind of like ah man there's nothing new under the sun but it was well done enough that i'd be like oh okay this is like sort of enjoyable it's like an enjoyable comic but considering how much of for Marvel, what a huge Marvel head I was, so much of it was really buying into that idea of continuity, character, and change. And it, and right at the point, these guys all kind of stretched it about as far as they could, and then it sort of started moving into retro, and I'm kind of like, well, that's over for me. Not even so much the retro stylings per se, but just kind of that feeling of like, oh, because there's usually character moves with it that more, that more or less go to reposition everything in the same place. And and so this is actually the thing that kind of I find fascinating about these DeFalco-Ryan issues is DeFalco and Ryan are simultaneously trying to do two different things at once. And one thing is is literally to give you the feeling of reading old FF comics, you know? And mm-hmm. what's weird is how much... Um, uh, the 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 people that the the plot stuff isn't just like the FF's greatest hits, but it's it's not even some of their greatest. Like it's sort of their kind of recent hits. Like you know, yeah, it's it's nuts how much. Is, well, it's but it's also not just the X. Like you yeah. know, it it wholesale. X-Men lifts. Well, and like, that was the other thing. Right. right. And that's you know? the thing that I thought was interesting is, is on the one hand, they're doing this weird like, oh, we're doing we're doing classic FF. But at the same time, rather than rolling the characters back to their defaults, they're actually doing a really awkward way of trying to shove everything forward to this new grim um uh, mm-hmm. status quo and and frankly yeah. you know i think your choice of having 381 is as a stopping point for this episode is perfectly chosen because by the time you get to the end of 381 you you see how defalco and ryan have actually been 
putting various pieces on the table for this to happen, but also for their their uh, its eventual undoing when needed, whenever. But it's very much this idea of like we're leaving the FF in a in this like really different place, and I think it's fascinating how much DeFalco is like. Yet we don't need to get rid of Sue and Reed. We just totally need to get rid of Reed, and then we need to change up Sue for reasons that are just insane that we can get to. But by the time you get to it, in a way, the idea of doing the FF with with Reed off the table and the other characters grimmed up and then throwing in really, really weird supporting cast choices. like Oh, it gets weirder. Oh, I'm sure it does. I am totally sure that it does. Believe me. But I'm kind of like... And, and you know, I tell you, the other thing that's weird, Graham, is how much... Well, we'll get to it, but it's just... It's so to me. It's really what I think is fascinating to me about these FF books is is that is that DeFalco on the one hand is trying to figure out how to like give you the classic FF feel, while at the same time trying to figure out how to change the book into the X Men, the biggest selling book of the eighties and nineties. Like at the same time, like mm-hmm. to do to do one or the other seems to me to be kind of the traditional what a creative team do, wants to do is really weird to me that a defalco they're wants, like let's do both yes let's do defalco and ryan are like let's do both at the same time and it's and and also what i find interesting is the idea that defalco is like if anyone like i've never seen anyone misunderstand a, the x-men so much as Tom DeFalco, I think, misunderstands them. Like, it's amazing to me. It's almost like <laughs> when you see that period in, like, the late 60s, early 70s, where DC was trying to ape Marvel, but really had no idea what the fuck was making Marvel work. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, so, it's true, because DeFalco just doesn't understand. Jeff, I've got to stop before we get any further, because this is all the pre-credit bits oh my god I no done the introduction i see yet. i figured we'd just record the introduction no, and you could slap no. it in oh my god okay we're going to we're going to slam into the the, the music right now Hello, Whatnuts. Welcome to Baxter Building, where myself, Graham McMillan, and my esteemed and, let's be honest, far more intelligent co-host... What? <laughs> Who did you replace me <laughs> oh with, Graham? God. Oh my god, I have to disprove that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Come, oh, on. come on that's i try, mean try there's graciousness cool. and then there's just outright falsity hello everyone it's jeff lester here to gab about um issues 371 through 381 of the fantastic four because we are reading all 416 issues or volume one as it's known of the ff in this delightful podcast we call the baxter building actually we don't call it the baxter building we call it Baxter Building, because I'm a dork, I put it in after specifically making a point of removing that fucking article in the first place. Hello, Graham. 
It's gonna be a good episode already. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> Graham, you can just hear Graham. He's like all but licking his chops. Like, <laughs> no, because okay, as you will have heard from the cold open, uh, Jeff and I have differing opinions about these eleven issues. It's also it actually only dawned on me as we were rereading these this week, Jeff, yes. that we're doing eleven issues. Yes, which is bold question mark or perhaps absolutely ludicrous yep. i'm not quite sure which especially because we're we're heavily into the tom defalco paul ryan era at this point absolutely um and these are their comics that do exactly what they want to do but what they want to do uh to quote wolverine isn't very nice <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Yes. Um, the the apple cart gets properly upset in these issues. Yeah. We we go we go for for a a whole scale change, a wholesale mm-hmm. change even into the Fantastic Four, in, in multiple ways. You listeners may or may not remember that the last time we did this, we were reading through the Infinity Gaunt. No, not no, Infinity, Infinity War. The War mm-hmm. issues. And Jeff, you and I were talking about how they, how DeFalco and Ryan are trying to remodel the characters and the... reposition the characters for the, for the 1990s. Yes. That continues in these issues. Mm-hmm. That's, Very much that's so. Fair, fair to say. The way they do it, I feel it's, you know, we, we have artificially created these gaps between issues. You know, we, we were like, okay, 371 is the start of a new thing. They did not. They were coming out in a monthly format. That's right. But I don't know if you agree with me on this, Jeff, but do you not feel that the portrayal of Ben and Johnny significantly pivots from where it was, in like, even just an issue ago with this batch of issues? Uh like, don't leave off in 370 with Johnny being like, ha, maybe I am the Punisher, but with flames. Yes. And with Ben being like, we've got to be wholesome. You know, we've got to be wholesome. We've right. got to be the good guys. Yeah. And that feels entirely gone from these issues. Uh, to the point where by the time that we, we end this episode, spoilers, mm-hmm. I would say Ben is more grim than Johnny. Yeah, well, because I think... <laughs> right. I, I think there... I, and that what I I think it's a really interesting pivot, and I, I say I say interesting pivot, but part of me is sort of like the idea of I I it would not surprise me considering where we end up with three eighty one if like DeFalco and Ryan thought about they were going to go one way, which was essentially yeah we're going to sort of split the FF along generation lines. Um, uh, you know, and we're going to have both Sue and Johnny be the characters that are going to be, you know, leaning into the new grim dark age or the dawning grim dark age. And we'll have, you know, Reed and Ben basically be like the good Joe's voices of reason. And, and it wouldn't surprise me in a way if DeFalco's kind of making that split along like, generation lines that he understands like of course by this point there's you know barely anyone working in comics is you know the same age as like reed and you know ben are supposed to be but uh but there is you know they fought in the korean war jeff <laughs> was it the korean it was the korean war wasn't it that but, they were supposed to have fought in world war Two originally yeah it's world war Two originally and i i wasn't paying attention to when they retconned it again and just made it the war or a war if they flat out say the Korean War or at some point it is officially the Korean War. Okay. And it's uh, just ridiculous. But, but yeah. 
but I think by this point, by like you know, the, what is this, nineteen ninety two? Ninety two, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Then I'm fairly sure that like the Korean War would have just become like the war. We're probably just lucky they're not like. Did we say the war? We meant Afghanistan, <laughs> right? No, exactly, exactly. So it seems to me like they were thinking like a ah, generation split again. Part of me is sort of seeing Defalco kind of leaning that way. In part because we've there's enough groundwork laid for that in in previous issues of the comic, and I think instead they were like, no, 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 we're gonna we're really going to go a very very different direction, uh, which I think also arguably makes it makes sense. Again, we'll get into uh, it a little yeah, bit well, more, well, but yes. yeah, let's talk. I, let's, I, I, strong suspect you and I are going to disagree about these issues, but yes. that's okay. Let's start with Fantastic Four 371, which has an amazing cover. I should say that this comic is called This Flame, This Fury. Mm -hmm. There is no punctuation there and also no introductory text. It is just called This Flame, This Fury. There is a comma uh, there. There is a comma after that's Flame. That's true. I guess what I mean is there's no explanation. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It begins with Reed is constructing a trans-temporal reflector because <laughs> what else would you need when Alicia has disappeared? This is why he's built it. He is there with Ben and the Puppet Master, and they're trying to find out what happened to Alicia. It works because the trans-temporal reflector literally lets them see what happened in the past, and they see that uh, a Watcher appeared and kidnapped Alicia. Yeah, I say it was a Watcher. Ben who is appropriately shocked, says, it was a watcher, a blasted watcher, which <laughs> I love. Reads, who feels the needs to correct everyone, says, not just any watcher, Ben. That was Aaron the Rogue. Yeah. Because, really, who remembered the Engelhart run? Spoilers, the Engelhart run is actually going to be weirdly important to this uh, run of issues. This is, this is arguably, if these issues had been crafted by Grant Morrison, you would definitely be like, oh, these are the Black Mass issues, where he takes... Because DeFalco and Ryan really do take Englehart's run and desecrate it. But in that weird knowing Black Mass kind of way of like, oh no, we read the issues. Like, just the fact that I'm stunned that we have Aaron the Rogue um, later on, we've got an imaginary FF, and we've got Sharon Ventura here. And so it's like, oh, this is really pretty heavily in Englehart territory, and yet... Wait, I, I, yeah, not only Sharon Ventura, like, where Sharon goes in these issues... Yes. ...is really, like, the, the extreme of where Englehart was taking her. Well, I mean, it's the, it's the weirdest thing. It's as if the Englehart issues, like... They happened in the sense of putting one or two of the pieces on the board, but they didn't happen because when DeFalco does stuff with Sharon, that literally is just a weird, like, mirror image of what Englehart did. It, and, it, it is it's the cover version of Englehart's plot. Yeah. And, and nobody, nobody blinks an eye at it. No one's ever, like, at any point, like, sort of the same way that, like, you know, Englehart reads all the issues and then shouts them out. So when he mentions like, oh yeah, I remember when you burped and it was like, you know, the editorial's not note is like back in 298 panel seven, remember? Whereas this one is just DeFalco is like, I'm literally doing this and it's exactly what was done and no one's going to acknowledge it. There will be no editor's notes. And, and it, but it happens not just with Englehart, but with Simonson in this as well, well in this run of also, issues. It, yeah, but also, it happens with 
like Fabian Nicisa and like X Force in these issues as oh, well. Right, which I'm Th- not as schooled is, on. Yeah, these eleven issues are Tom DeFalco's weird cover act yeah. of just Marvel comics, not right. even just the Fantastic Four comics. Marvel comics in general. Yeah, we are getting horribly off track. It's a Watcher. He kidnaps Alicia. They're all shocked. Reed and Ben decide that they are going to take advantage of of this to get into action and save Alicia. As they head back to Four Freedom Plaza. They're interrupted by Sharon Ventura, who has showed up out of nowhere, and is like, hey, Ben, let's talk. As Ben goes off to talk to her, Reeds goes and meets Sue, who's wearing a new costume for yourself, as Reed says. <laughs> Sue says, I hope you like it. I was starting to feel like an old frump in that tedious, outdated jumpsuit, because Tom DeFalco cannot help but lampshade. Oh, yeah. That this is, it's the 1990s. Sue wasn't revealing enough skin, so we put her in this, I mean ugly as shit costume (laughs) it's not just ugly as shit but it is exploitive as hell like the whole idea that sue's like yeah it's time that the the cutout four yes yes the boob window with a four the four boob window it's just like no 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 one would ever do this and then there's this great scene where she's fighting she she and reed are fighting it's shown from behind and the colorist is like no we're not supposed to be seeing that much of the invisible girl's ass cheeks and so just covers oh, yeah, and she colors the white yeah. yes yeah and yeah, it's like it, it's amazing no franklin is actually you know looking at his mother's buttocks reed and sue fight uh, sue is very upset that reed is not paying enough attention to her costume yeah and calls him an inattentive inconsiderate self-absorbed rattle-headed jerk i mean all fair yes but even on the understandings that sue is quote-unquote possessed by malice or is possessing malice it is unclear and will remain unclear yeah it's, it's amazingly out of character for sue and the fact that no character is like this is so out of character for you. Right. That maybe you're not Sue is honestly kind of emblematic of these issues in general. Anyway, the two of them fight. Franklin watches and we get another interlude of Franklin's eyes glowing. Mm-hmm. And the narration being like, he's fucking got superpowers. Okay, Franklin. Franklin's really dangerous, you guys. Franklin. As Franklin's eyes are glowing, we see Pybok, the power scroll, and uh, Devos, 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 Devos the Destroyer. Devastator. Yeah. And... I also the rear Ly- haunch. Lila, uh, the, the buttocks of, of Johnny's presumed dead wife. Watching the Human Torch as he goes to Empire State University, we literally only see Johnny arrive at Empire State University yeah. before we cut back to Ben and Sharon. And Ben's like, ah, something's a bit weird with you, Sharon. And she's like, everything's fine. While you're in that elevator, let me pull out a radio receiver and talk to someone mysteriously, who's clearly Doctor Doom. Yeah, absolutely. Mystery. Yeah, like it's a guy in a green cloak with an armored glove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who who could that be? Who says, by the way, this unexpected turn necessitates a subtle change in strategy? Right. Of course, it's fucking Doctor Doom. Exactly. Ben and Reed meet up again and decide, that's it. We're going to go after this rogue watcher. Sharon shows up now in a new costume saying, I'll come with you guys, seeing as Sue isn't coming because she's quite clearly evil now. Right. And Johnny is at university for some reason. I've showed up in my new outfit, which you can tell I'm definitely not dodgy. It's a green and purple outfit, you guys. <laughs> but I'm, I'm 100% on the side of the good guys, really. As she says that, we then cut back to Johnny in Empire State University where he meets the cute co-ed that lashed out at me Bridget O'Neill, who has almost Chris Claremont level 
Irishisms. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll be thanking you not to be addressing me with any degree of familiarity, she says, before she is literally frozen solid by Pybok and Demos. <laughs> Johnny will then, even though she's frozen solid, like, heat her up and she'll be fine. But I'm jumping ahead because there is a two-page fight sequence that is deathly dull because we yep. before we split back again to Reed now wearing his new jacket because that's what he wears now. Mm-hmm. Ben and, and Sharon going, we're going to go and rescue Alicia. And Puppet Master's like, why aren't you bringing me? As opposed to going, I'm a bad guy. I, I should probably understand. Maybe that's why you're not going to take me with you. Yeah. I'm quite clearly not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's like, I will get my revenge. Uh, they jump through a dimensional portal. They end up somewhere where it is freezing. And they find Alicia and she is asleep and she's tied up to a machine. And they're in the machine. There's a universe she's dreaming. Ooh. And there's Aaron the Watcher. And he's like, oh, you are destined to spend the remainder of your brief and significant lives within it. And then we split back. <laughs> to Empire State University where the boring fight is happening. Johnny melts Bridget and she's completely fine except she goes, ah, which I guess is what happens when you get melted. Yeah. Who even knows? And then Lija shows up and she's like, I'm I'm alive and I hate you because mm-hmm. you left me for dead. Instead of saying, that's perhaps completely reasonable. Right. You know, instead she's like, nope, you left me for dead. I hate you and I'm not going to attack you. Johnny fires the, the Fantastic Four flare. Only Sue sees it because obviously the rest of the team is now out in the middle of, of Frozen Land confronting the Watcher. She runs into action after having a confrontation with Agatha Harkness. Before she even arrives, though, Johnny is overwhelmed by the fight and goes Nova, Nova. <laughs> by the time she arrives, she is overwhelmed with with fear for her brother. As opposed to noticing that literally Johnny has set fire to the, all of Empire State University to be continued. Yeah. Jeff, this comic is paced terribly, <laughs> is dull as shit, despite everything that is supposed to be exciting happening. Right. And there, everyone is acting out of character. Oh, God. Every, everyone... everyone is acting out of character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, I don't know. This comic is good because this comic is not good. Oh, no, it's definitely not good. I guess there's things for someone who like me who expected it to be truly terrible. I was like, oh, the super fancy prismatic cover actually ties into the story. Surprising. B, I, it's, there's nothing more hilarious than out-of-character Sue basically swearing like, a, like a, a, the devil, like, you know... She's basically acting like uh, Linda Blair's character in The Exorcist to Agatha Harkness and then runs off. And it's great because Agatha Harkness is like, is it my imagination or has Susan gotten a little colder? And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, really? That's Sue, your... Sue is so hilariously out of character. See, I mean, it. all of the characters are. But yeah. Sue is so hilariously out of character that it's kind of hilarious that DeFalco has characters go Sue's acting weird as opposed to Sue is acting nothing like herself right and and I think this is one of the things where we were talking about this idea that I mean it'll well let let's keep going because what's great is everything that you're complaining about is only going to you know exactly it, accelerate. Only, it only gets worse yes yeah, yeah. so you want to just go on to 372 because yeah. 371 as I was saying in what might be the cold open, I honestly can't remember when I said this before. These stories are amazingly consistent in their their badness. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like it, it's not as if the series suddenly takes a turn for the worse. Mm-hmm. It's that it just continues along the same bad path and makes an astonishing amount of bad choices and just keeps making them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. It's it's the weird thing is is that it's the it's deliberate. It's this really weird strategy. And so like I said what I guess in the long cold open is Tom DeFalco is trying to maneuver this book in line with what he sees going over in the X books. But the weird thing is is that DeFalco is like really tone deaf like he does not get probably because he just doesn't I mean he really doesn't see it but heavy handed as it is Chris Claremont really is trying to make the book make the X books be about the characters and the characters are in conflict and all DeFalco really sees is the conflict and so he's kind of like, oh, okay, you get, you got to have conflict. You just got to, like, I swear to God, the, the fact that at a certain point we've got Sue, we've got uh, Lija in, in there, uh, and we also have Sharon Ventura running around. Like, there's a lot of superpowered women running around in this comic, and, uh, and, and weirdly is they more or less all exist as bitchy counterpoint points to the male characters yes yes it's kind of well i mean in defalco's defense sue is genuinely bitchy mm-hmm. lija is inconsistently bitchy right which i think is supposed to be a character arc right although defalco really doesn't carry it off but i think she's spent essentially supposed to go from yes like they're brittle and hurt by right. what she sees betrayal to come right. around to, to realize that's not the case. Sharon is not especially bitchy. No, but I but should Sharon say it's a problem not to be. Yeah. Not to be trusted. None yeah. of these women are to be trusted. They're not to be trusted. Exactly. Theory. Yeah. So the whole idea is, is that, that DeFalco looks at Claremont's X-Men and be, and is like, and sees the various, what Claremont is doing, the way that he fetishizes strong women is really deeply confusing to a lot of people, including readers who misunderstood it or, you know, readers who in many cases were just desperate for whatever they could get. And you see someone like DeFalco and he's like, oh, OK, so they've got to be problems for the men. They've got to always be talking about how they're always being underestimated you know, and they it, 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 there is something very 1970s about Sue, especially mm-hmm. just continually out of nowhere saying, you're not going to underestimate me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like f- from out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like uh, Reed will say something utterly banal mm-hmm. like or, or even something that is entirely appropriate. Yes. Like Johnny, like Johnny's in prison. What happened? Right. And Sue's response will be, will be, why are you underestimating me? <laughs> and it's like, was like you just wasn't. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of that. And, and I think it is because DeFalco really is approaching this as, um, in order to show that these women are quote-unquote strong, mm-hmm. I will have them declare that they're strong at every given opportunity. Right. Well, because again... But, Yes. It, it would also be less less noticeable mm-hmm. if any of the men were as problematic as the women. Right, exactly. But all of the men, with the arguable exception of Johnny, mm-hmm. are really boring and milk toast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
The only time that's not true is when Ben, spoilers, gets injured midway through the storyline. Right. And becomes self-pitying. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, Reed is, is just dull. Mm-hmm. Reed is literally the, like, responsible dad, and that's it. Yeah, he is and, he, and, the least, uh, the most, one of the more inoffensive Reeds out of the entire run. You know, Johnny is, I mean, Johnny's characterization is, characterization is, is astoundingly inconsistent. It really is. Actually, literally, as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm realizing Johnny is self-pitying until Ben is self-pitying. Yeah. DeFalco only allows one man to be self-pitying in this book at any one time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's self-pitying, and then he comes around to basically just being stoic. Yeah. Well, that's it. He becomes stoic. Uh, but, yeah, but, but exactly. Man, man, like, the, the women are... The women are... Uh, I mean, badly written, but, but problematic, quote-unquote. Yeah. But none of the men have the space to be problematic. <laughs> well, it's it's one you part know, of the space, it yeah. It if one man was. Right. No, I agree. And, and, and there's a weird, like... Again, almost with the stuff where the torch is like, as we see before these issues start during the Infinity War stuff, killing people, even though he's like, they're not people, they're like Thanos' shadow demons, which is, you know, a quibblage. But I, I think there's a semi good point for it. But he really does be, talks about like, I don't want to be left behind. That's very much dropped. And then there's this sort of Johnny is the is the victim, is the misunderstood victim for a couple of issues. And then once things switch over to Ben's Ben being the guy who has the agony ball, um, you know, then then Johnny, like you said, sort of becomes more like the regular Johnny, which is sort of like yes. Johnny loses the bloodthirstiness to become self-pitying. Yeah. It's uh, starting with seven two, starting with the issue we're about to talk about. Yeah. And then when he stops being self-pitying, he doesn't regain the bloodthirstiness. No, no. He's just like, well, okay, I'm I'm just Johnny now. Right. Yeah, which you know, is it's yeah. so weird. Mm-hmm. It's so weird that the character development just is, is is not linear at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fits and starts, which is which again. So let's let's talk briefly super quickly. Do you want to try recapping 372 as well or I'll give you a clue of how bad 372 is. On the cover it says featuring Code Blue, Spider-Man, Elijah the Laser Fist, Pybox the Power Scroll, Devos the Devastator and much much more. Yeah. You may think to yourself, the only name I really recognize is Spider-Man. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Uh, Code Blue, Elijah the Laser Fist I don't like. Was she actually called Elijah the Laser Fist in the last issue? No, I think she was. Was she? First, I, did no, she break the, out and say like, time, yeah, yeah? I think that was the first time they ever called her Elijah the Laser Fist. But she gets a cover credit as that this time. Okay. Uh, Bipok is first girl and Devil's the Devastator. Every villain gets an alliterative name. Everyone. They're all Tafalco and Ryan creations. Yeah. And it it makes it's trying to make the book seem like in the Lee and Kirby days, where it's like, oh, look at all these amazing characters we've created. Yes. This goes awry. Uh, by the next issue, it then becomes guest star central for two issues. Yeah. I mean, overpopulated guest star central. Anyway, uh, no more the hero exclamation point. Uh, it starts with code blue. The, the exciting character breakouts of 1992. They're called Jock, Mad Dog, Blowtorch, and um, what are the Stone and Fireworks. Yeah, they could be fucking Transformers with those names. Let's well, that's it. Out. Also, That's it. they all look generic as shit. Completely. Um, they're they're some sort of like hardcore like superhero police, I yeah. guess. Right. Who knows? Anyway, they've shown up at Four Freedom Plaza to arrest the Human Torch. Sue, who is now 
evil Sue or bitchy Sue is like, fuck you, I'm going to come on all at, a, all at the same time come on let's just do this and Johnny shows up and is like no I'm going to surrender because you know what I really did set fire to Mercy University that was me we were both there I really did it I should yeah. go to I should be arrested right. and everyone's like that's great Franklin shows up and hugs Johnny's leg and is like oh why are they arresting you I, I'm I, I've got power <laughs> Sue then goes directly from there to a tenants meeting for everyone else in Fort Freedom Plaza where they complain, understandably, that the building is really unsafe. Yeah. And the top boat was destroyed. And, you know, maybe this is really bad. Sue underscoring that Sue is now evil bitchy Sue decides that the only way to deal with this is to make the clothes of everyone in the meeting disappear with their invisible powers. Yeah. To go, ha, 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 ha. I, she actually says, I can easily employ my invisible energy to make your clothes do exactly what I wish you, you yourselves would do, disappear, and everyone leaves, apart from ponytailed scuzzball Mr. Giroux, yeah. who says, exactly, how long will your husband be gone? What? Yeah. Yeah, and, no, yeah. And also, the caption after he says that is, an interesting question. Yeah. What is going on in this comic? Never mind. It cuts to the puppet master who is, of course, still like, whatever happened to my daughter who who Ben and Reed and Sharon were going to get? It's a really good question. And he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a puppet of the Molecule Man who, let's not forget, everyone should probably think is dead because he only just came back from being a, a Cosmic Cube. Right. Uh, I'm sure he didn't announce it, but that doesn't matter. Somehow the puppet master knows he's around, and he he makes a puppet, and then he is possessed. He possesses the molecule man. Cuts to Pipok, the power scroll, Devos, the devastator, and Elijah, the laser fist, watching the Johnny Storm reality show on their alien television as he's arrested. You might think this scene has any purpose whatsoever. It doesn't, because we then cut to the Daily Bugle offices, where J. Jonas Jameson is ranting that the Human Torch is, of course, a menace to, amazingly in a Marvel comic, Peter Parker with miscolored hair. Yes! How, how did that happen? Yeah. Why does Peter Parker suddenly have blue hair? Because nobody cares in this comic about anything. Spoilers. <laughs> uh... Peter Parker goes, hey, Johnny's been arrested. I should go and check it out. He goes down to Johnny getting, uh, going into the police station to, to get his fingerprints taken and, and everything. Who Who is waiting and interrupts? It's Lyja, the laser fist, and Pybok, the power scroll, and Devos, the devastator, who cause havoc. Not the X-Man, just general havoc. <laughs> but uh, trying to get a riot going... Johnny sees that Elijah's there, he flames on, he realizes that Pybok, the power scroll is there, he starts attacking Pybok, but Pybok is disguised as a policeman, so everyone thinks that the Human Torch has gone mad. They shoot the Human Torch, but he turns all their bullets into slag and then runs away, and now he's a fugitive from justice. Cut to, as if this wasn't enough, we're also only on page, like... Seriously? This ...of the story. Cut to the dream world that... Ben and Reed and Sharon are now living in, which is literally the dream world created by Alicia. We have genuinely done this story before during, I think, the burn run, right? 
Oh yeah, we're, no, it's what's a exactly. It's, it's menace of a small town or whatever it was called. Terror in a tiny town. Terror in a tiny town. Yes, but it's it's that exact story. Except this time, it's Aaron the Watcher who's watching them. They're all being domestic while Ben is like, something, I'm not putting my finger on something. Cut to the Watcher laughing maniacally outside in the real world as this is happening. Then he's confronted by the Molecule Man. Cut to Spider-Man looking in the rain for Johnny, and Johnny is instead hiding under a cardboard box, being self-pitying. Cut to J. Jonah Jameson hires Silver Sable and her wild pack to get the torch and that's the comic yeah it's, it's, to be fair a lot happens in this comic See? But also right. happens in this comic no but nothing happens in this comic well like, there's yeah. a lot of scenes but if you think of the forward momentum all that really happens is Johnny surrenders to the police and then goes rogue because uh, Elijah and Pybok disrupt it that's it for forward plot momentum and yet it takes you know 22 pages to get there full of things but all of the things yeah. are all kind of weird filler reminder like this happens. Like nothing really happens in the Ben Reading and Sharon uh, thread. Right. Right. Well, nothing other than the setup, which I think is really interesting about uh, these issues. And, and this issue in particular is super not good. But I'm sort of amused that there is lot like – everyone's little subplot cranks along a little bit and considering Ben but and Reed and Sharon what's that no it's all it's subplot all yeah mm-hmm. exactly like he forgets that you're supposed to have an a plot as well as the b plot and c plot he's like what if I just do b c d and e plots well that's it because the because the whole thing with Johnny turning himself in for the destruction of Empire State University feels like a b plot and part of it is because the pacing is so much like most people will only have i think we've seen this book where there's like i mean you know looking at simonson where simonson barely had one subplot going on against whatever is a plot oh no simonson yeah simonson was 100 percent like you know my B plot is literally going to be like a page that is setting up next issue. Yeah. It, Everything know. else is all A plots. Like, yeah. hey, he's, he's literally just like, there is a story and we're doing the story. Yep. Exactly. You know? And to be fair, Byrne also kind of had that. Byrne, mm-hmm. had, Byrne did have subplots, but he didn't do subplots incredibly far out. And he, he also didn't give a lot of space to them. No. No, it was it was very much like teaser for one subplot that would be the next main subplot and then the main subplot in the A plot. So it was very much kind of like, oh, here's a scene with like Johnny and Alicia like on a date or something like that. And that would be it. And it was like, you know, oh, you know, when the subplot is supposed to be She-Hulk and White Wingfoot getting closer, here they are on a date, you know, and you might have like one page of whatever the ominous villain that's, you know, or story that that's being set up for the next issue is. But here there is just so much going on um, that on the one hand, it feels like I said, there's a lot of material, but it's just, but the pacing is just not there. And part of it is also, I think what I find fascinating considering Ryan is credited as has been credited as plotter for a a while now. Um, Yeah. Or, or co-plotter. Yeah, it's been has been co-plotting the book. Things are just too jammed full of crap. Like, so there's no real the big action sequences with the Human Torch. Like he, it feels like the B story 
you know, in a book where based on the cover and everything, it's supposed to be the A story. But there's there's yes, there's... exactly it's it's the big event of the issue. Yeah. But it's also only gets a page and a half of time mm-hmm. because everything else is a subplot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. By when you when you look at it, the Johnny stuff, just the fact that Johnny being, you know, uh, led away in in handcuffs, you know, after the code blue opening, you know, and then you follow follow that up with with Sue showing down the, the tenants is almost as long as the big action scene with, yes. you know, Pipok and everything. You're just kind of like, yeah, that's. That's really everything is given equal. Everything is given equal equal weight, Mm -hmm. which makes everything seem more dull by comparison. When Johnny getting arrested and then breaking free has the same amount of pages as Sue meeting with tenants, getting upset, and then making their clothes invisible. Yep. And then even having the weird one panel where either like it's it's almost like they were looking at old X-Men comics and they don't understand that again that one panel where you're supposed to get the Chris Claremont character self insert you know or alternately mastermind to show up like like it's almost like they read the issues like where uh mastermind shows up is Jason what's his dingle and then never read the rest of the X-Men run and didn't know that he turned out to be mastermind like it is so so weird. Graham, I know, like you said, we have so little time to cover so much stuff, but I do have to ask, because I am the guy who's obsessed with the meta, what the fuck is going on here with Molecule Man versus Aaron the Watcher? What do you mean, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on is it's DeFalco trying to do Cosmic and trying to remind... I, it could be Ryan as well. He is co-plotting. Uh, trying to remind the reader of, quote-unquote, the classic FF concept. Well, so, okay, so the weird thing is, is in, in 371, but right before they get shot into uh, this place, Aaron makes a talk about how they are going to be put inside a new universe, right? Like, he uses Shooter's <laughs> new... You're, you're... Right, you know what I mean. Like he's like a new I, universe. I, I, I honestly, I honestly had not noticed that. But you, you think that Aaron is is being played as a shooter? Unlock. Well, this is what's weird. Is he, at one point he's like, it's a new universe based upon a single personal vision, and then he fires them into this Earth. But it's 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 Engelhart's Watcher, and then you end up having. The Molecule Man, which really it does end up being the shooter character, like, you know, shooter's sort of like go to dude in terms of having putting him at the at the core of Secret War, having but all this stuff where well, he puts also, him from. He, right? He's the he's the shooter and again looking at it from a meta perspective, yeah. he's the shooter style of character. He's an omnipotent character who is all too human. Because he can get booners. Because he can get boners. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so is it? So there is that weird feeling of is it supposed to? Why is Aaron, who suddenly make talking about a new universe, being put up against, um, you know, shooters? One of main shooters' dudes, you know, the main shooter concept. I, I, the that, that honestly man. had passed passed me by entirely, and I love it. I I think again. It would not be surrising me if you were reading much more insistent than Falco was, but <laughs> but I love it. I want it to be true. Yeah, very very much. Well, again, it's a weird. So part of me, my theory, such as it is, uh, is that sh- 
well, let's let's jump into 373 because it it wraps up the story. It doesn't really meet in with my theory, but it's worth having all the facts and evidence, I guess. Shattered lives again. It would be so much better with an exclamation point, but they don't give it an explanation. Yeah, they really point. don't, do they? Wow, that's funny. Uh, Shattered lives begins with Doctor Doom, uh, who is planning. Mm-hmm. planning things and, and is back to old school both in terms of visual and dialogue. Do not belabor the obvious, you sniveling simpleton. At a glance, I've already determined the probable identity of her captor, though his possible motivation yet eludes me. Pinned by Majin's exact location via her personal homing beacon, he says. Uh, this is an introduction to something that will come up in a couple of issues and then come up to a far greater level. A few issues after that, essentially, spoilers, Sharon Ventura is working for Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Cut from that to the Mulgaman against the Watcher. It shouldn't really be that fair fight, and yet apparently it's it seems pretty evenly matched. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's give Aaron the the, the benefit of the doubt and say that he really can't be bothered. Yeah, that's He's sure what like, it seems Girl. like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like whatever. Sure, I'll fight this guy. As that's going on. Ben wakes up in his weird pocket universe and is going, something's wrong, you guys, something's wrong. And everyone else is like, no, it's fine. Look, we have kids and you work with Reed and the, and the exciting business. It's 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 really great. And Reed's like, look at me. I've got like patches on my elbows and I, I have a pipe. Every, everything's fine. Ben goes, no, when he almost hits him with a chair and Reed stretches out of the way going what What did I just do Ben's like I don't know oh look I turned into a thing Sharon who in this reality is a secretary again this is super weird because you could make a comment of like oh it, it's it's a patriarchal society mm-hmm. but it's being imagined by Alicia yep like why is Sharon reduced to being the secretary mm-hmm. it's Alicia's fantasy version of the world yep that makes no sense to me yep uh, and then cut to the puppet master who is really upset because the molecule man is now unconscious and it literally says that fool's failed me like how does he how does why is he like maybe maybe he's dead right like, the, maybe i should be upset he's just like he's failed me cuts to the superheroic fantastic four fighting ben and reed and, and sharon in the the, the like mirror universe fake universe what the hell yep. and they win because of course they win because we saw this in the Engelhart run <laughs> and, and literally almost entirely Reed t- does a speech where he's confronting other Reeds and he he like basically gives the same speech oh like, Graham we- I'm gonna blow your tiny mind in just a few minutes oh God, I don't even want to know. Uh, anyways, uh, Alicia's really upset, and she's like, oh, I'm so confused. What's even happening? And that makes everyone wake up, because of course it does. And then they jump out of the mirror, the, the like, little universe that was above Alicia, and they're all completely fine, because that's how it works, I guess. And as the Watcher realizes this has happened, he turns around, and then he gets zapped by Doctor Doom. Uh... <laughs> but Doctor Doom's gone by the time they come out, and the regular Watcher's just standing over them, and he says nothing because, of course, he says nothing. He's a Watcher, and then because, of course, this is what happens next. You cut back to to Daredevil, who's like, who's like, well, they're they're looking for Johnny, and actually says there are a few dozen people below, including some familiar figures. Their agitation is obvious even to a blind man. Yeah, really, yeah, really. Uh, it's 
Silver Sable is chewing out the wild pack because they let Johnny get away. Uh, Spider-Man's like, yeah, bye. Look, we've got to get Johnny. I have to sort out my loyalties. And I just know that the time has come to call out the big guns. The really big guns. Cut to the Molecule Man waking up and being like, oh, well, that was weird. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go home now. Catch you later. Yep. Cut to a spaceship with Dr. Doom on it holding a glowing pink thing going, yep. Got me some watcher power. The end. Yep. Again, if this seems like all subplots, it's because this comic is all subplots now. That's all it is. Yeah. As if they have they got so exhausted with themselves having very little subplot during the Infinity War issues, they're like, we're just going to do only subplots from now on. That's what Fantastic Four is. It's only subplots. Well, or if it were being paced differently, which it's not. I mean. It's arguably a comic with three different action scenes at once. And if those action scenes were being told, I think, in any other way, it would feel like a super big comic where it actually feels like this is a culmination, like each little thing has been picked up and is a culmination of what's been building for at least an issue or two. You know, like it's supposed to be weirdly super compressed and... I think to have big blowout moments, but literally because the big blowout moments are tiny, tiny, tiny. They're paced at exactly the same speed yes. as the subplots. But also, the big blowout moments aren't blowouts. No, it's really the problem. Yes, like if you're going to do something, if you're going to say like this is happening on a grander scale. Yes, you actually have to do it on a grander scale. Exactly. And I mean, like I genuinely mean that literally. Mm-hmm. Like, why are the panels not bigger? Exactly. Why are you not spending more? page space exactly you know but none of these things happen you get again as much time spent on you know silver sable yelling at the wild pack Mm -hmm. as you do you know johnny having a fight with 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 the wild pack earlier or or the fantastic four like the fake fantastic four fighting the real fantastic four they all have exactly the same amount of space given to them and attention paid to them to the, to the point where nothing feels like it is any extra weight. No, no, exactly. It it's it because it's and because it's all that way. If there was a way where you could draw out the contrast more, like this would be spread out probably among more issues, and it, it would it would feel bigger. Weirdly, because so that's the way the FF had been told for such a long time previous to Burn. It would also feel more like derivative more you know it would have that weird feeling of like it's the ff's recent greatest hits being told in like the old ff's greatest hits classic cover style but because it's not it's entirely unfortunately it just all feels weightless but if you read what's going on it's in a way it's ambitious as crap and so when i say that issue 373 is is a return to like the FF days of old. Do you know what I'm referring to by that, Graham? I don't. And does this tie into what's going to blow my mind? Yes, yes. Actually, okay. maybe both Go. of these will blow them. Blow your mind slash you being Jeff. You're reading too much into it. So I'm actually going to say that what happens is we're looking at a classic FF scenario, which is. The artist plots one thing and the writer writes a different, changes the direction and interpretation over it. 
I would not be surprised if that's true, especially because there is maybe the most stunning version of this coming up. Okay, so, which is amazing. It's good to know. So in this, if you take out the layers of everything that DeFalco's telling you through the dialogue, right, you have actually a storyline with Aaron the Watcher that is remarkably consistent with what Englehart was saying and doing with Aaron and the FF. At the end of Englehart's run, Aaron takes his fake FF and he decides to put them on another planet and, and have their own uni- their own adventures that are more to quote-unquote his liking, right? Mm-hmm. In this, that literally means that those characters become more like the DC characters, right? So, it, in in other words, it's, they're not they're not actual um, they're not actual uh, Marvel characters anymore. Aaron liked them differently, and that's why they look more like DC heroes. The whole idea is is that Ben and Reed and Sue are all pulled. I I would assume Aaron's thing is like we need Alicia's power energy or something to run this or keep this running or make it blah 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 and in order to keep her happy and satisfied they have to bring in Ben so that she can have you know quote unquote this happy life and again it's this mirror of this terror in tiny town sort of thing and what you end up seeing happening is is that the FF once again have to confront the fake FF who are now more you know DC-ish and end up sort of conquering them and you know conquering their blah blahs and jumping out now the weird part is the way that DeFalco goes on to overwrite this whole sequence again the stuff doesn't necessarily make any sense except and this is insane to me it's all a weird meta textual argument against meta text and an auteurist argument against auteurs right so my theory is is that by choosing by putting the new universe mouth basically you have a situation where you've got shooters character and you've got Englehart's character, and they confront each other. And as a res- while they're confronting each other, you literally have the FF trapped inside a redo of a John Byrne story, right? And which the terror in a tiny <laughs> town thing, right? And so you very much have this idea of these colliding auteurs and their ideas about like. This idea that, that, you know, there's sort of this personal vision to the universe that Aaron's talking about. This totally gets repudiated. And the weird thing is, is the way it gets repudiated is with Reed um, basically choking out the DC version of Reed. And this is what's crazy. Says something like, like Ben remarked earlier, you're nothing more than a gross parody out of an old comic book. In fact, you even bear a vague resemblance to that fictional superhero who died amongst so much media ballyhoo. And and it's like, unfortunately, though this particular world may be fictitious, I am quite real, and truth is always the most potent weapon of all. Okay, so if to have that put in Reed Richards' mouth is really interesting because spoilers at the same time this is going on defalco and ryan are setting up a big character death that is going to be happening in issue 381 i guess two big character deaths 
And so the fact that DeFalco has this weird part where he's talking about the death of Superman from a character when he's setting up a a near death that's going to be happening later, it's like DeFalco is kind of talking about, like, you know, you've got all this chaos that's basically going on. And, you know, in the sense of you've got shooters stand in, fighting Engelhart stand in, you know, while they're literally running around in the John Byrne universe. And DeFalco's like, you know what? Auteurs don't matter at all. It really doesn't matter what the creator is doing. It actually kind of just matters. The 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 quote unquote the characters <laughs> are the truth isn't even necessarily the case there. I think what what DeFalco is saying is literally like the comic books are the comic books and they're more or less designed to sell. And the weird thing is is that he's even he's talking about the death of Superman before he goes on to kill off one of the characters of the Fantastic Four. And in it, he's basically talking about how it's a bunch of Ballyhoo. And the thing is, is that it's, I think as far as DeFalco's concerned, it's not the idea that they kill Superman, because of course he's going to happily rip that off. It's the idea that it means anything. Like DeFalco is very much like the purpose of comic books is to sell comic books. It's not actually about personal expression at all. And what's weird is it's all buried in the layer of this metatextual stuff. So it's not anywhere near the surface, um, which is probably how DeFalco wants it, because his whole point is that doesn't matter. Like, you got to do whatever you can to make the comic book sell. And that is very much the approach that you end up seeing throughout these issues. And it's the only real nod to the idea of it. very much like that is clearly what DeFalco is doing, not just here, mm-hmm. but when you look at the rest of his career, mm-hmm. especially at Marvel at this time, you know, when you look at what he's been doing in in Thor at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. by with I took him wrong. I think Friends is very much also a, a driver of the, you know, let's basically try and recreate Lee and Kirby as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at his Spider-Man as well, where he was so slavishly trying to recreate the Ditko via Romita, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Falco is consistently argues against individual expression mm-hmm. and is instead a fan of the idea that there is a platonic ideal of these characters. Mm-hmm. And the platonic ideal must be lived up to because the platonic ideal is what sells. What makes Fantastic Four particularly interesting is whether this is Ryan or not, or, mm-hmm. or it, because of when this is happening. This does not harken to the platonic ideal of, of Lee and Kirby after maybe the first six or seven issues. Yeah. And instead starts going in this weird 1990s, I don't know what sells, but I'm going to basically rip off specific plot lines from other comics yeah in order to try and sell Mm -hmm. it it is as you say like he's arguing against the idea that this is a comic that he is creating and instead he is doing a job and his job is how do i sell this comic yeah exactly how do i make this comic sell as much as possible so really and in that sense i think because you literally do have considering what's coming up having read complain about it very specifically kind of does point to this idea that, that again, DeFalco's like, yeah, I. it looks like I'm saying one thing, but what I'm saying is even more 
kind of, depending on how you look at it, like mercenary or honestly, just very much uh, like a very, like a very devoted company man. You know, it's very unsurprisingly considering DeFalco's position. You know, he's like, yeah, I will do whatever it takes to make the Fantastic Four and sell and sell as much as possible. And and kind of at this core of and it's not even because I care about the characters like at this point, it's merely because this is what you do if you do your job well. You know, this, this mm-hmm. is the well, this well, is reality. Although, you know? Do you think he cares about the characters? Because I think he does. You know, I have to tell you, Graham. I am not sure because as someone who you would think would care, I think if he really cared about the characters, they would not basically stop and pivot every two or three issues. You know what I mean? Like it really seems like DeFalco's not paying attention to them at all. Well, whereas for me, I think they stop and pivot because he is struggling with, well, what do I do with this character that I like in order to make them sell? Well, and that's what I think. You know, I I think he's I think he's married to the traditional versions of the characters, but he just is like, well, how do I how do I make this like sell now? Talking about that, Fantastic Four three seven four, suddenly the Secret Defenders. How does he make it sell? Well, maybe he brings back <laughs> Spider-Man, Hulk, Ghost Rider, and Wolverine for a clash of the... I was going to say New Teen Titans. That's just, <laughs> that's just this is, you know, if this... Con- it, to be fair, if we have been complaining about too many subplots and everything seeming like a subplot and no great big moment in mm-hmm. these past two issues this issue at least does have more of a through line yeah there's maybe one interruption for subplot two there's two interruptions for a subplot in this mm-hmm. um and otherwise it's it's pretty much all a plots the a plot being spider-man gets the quote-unquote new fantastic four back together in order to hunt for johnny why does he get them back together it, it, it it really makes no sense in terms of story. It's really just so they can have a cover that says the new Fantastic Four versus the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nonetheless, with the help of Doctor Strange, hence Secret Defenders, they get them back. They find Johnny. There's a confrontation where, of course, if you're going to get people to talk Johnny down, you get three characters who have no relationship with Johnny's arm yeah. whatsoever. Yep. Johnny, understandably calls in the rest of the team who are very happy to find him there's a fight because of course there's a fight Mm -hmm. and during the fight this is the most important thing of all the uh wolverine slashes uh, the thing's face with his claws yep this this is uh, the turning point for ben Mm -hmm. uh, for the next few issues and it's so bad that even evil bitch Sue says, your face, it's, it's horrible because she is shocked. Yes. Uh, as Ghost Rider is about to kill Johnny, because I guess that's the thing that happens, he's saved by Elijah the Laser Fist, who has betrayed the other bad guys because now is the moment where she makes her pivot, because of course she does. Is it organic? No. Is no. anything in this comic organic? None in the slightest. No. As it yeah. looks like last minute confrontation is about to happen the ff and Elijah are all disappear on oh, sharon as well sharon is there during all of this as well yep. uh, they disappear mysteriously and the other the secret defenders go what that where have they gone they all look shocked that wasn't intentional to be continued i should say 
I have passed over two subplot moments. One is Franklin's eyes are glowing and Agatha is very upset and used her magic to basically switch his brain off for a second. Which everyone does. Who hasn't turned their child's brain off? Yeah. Because he's acting up. You know, would the, we were all witches from Salem and could do that. <laughs> and the other subplot is that the Doctor Doom has repurposed his Art Adams designed armor. Uh, sorry, not even Art Adams. Yeah, Simonson. Yeah. Well, yeah. Simonson designed armor. Yeah. As his cosmic power armor, which he then uses to store Aaron's power and confront the the regular watcher to claim more power because of course mm-hmm. holy shit this comic yes yep yeah uh so um one thing i want to mention is is that at the, it's a good time as any to mention the last couple of issues have franklin basically getting angry and agatha being like oh this child he's beginning he's getting he's it's getting difficult yeah, it's, it's the same, the same scene, scene yep. continually, which is Franklin's eyes glow. He's like, I can't believe my parents are fighting. And I get some background going, he's very powerful. Yep. That's it. My my nickname for him is Frangry, by the way. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know, I've been waiting like three issues to break that out that I called I'm him Frangry. I'm yeah. glad you did break it out, though. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of, again, what's amazing is, is that any, like... The 90s comic, you actually have Wolverine sort of, you know, um, all but literally castrating Ben Grimm. And it is, it is, it's a relatively big, well, well, no, I mean, come on, technically. face. Well, okay, first off, it doesn't really matter. And technically, I mean, you know, the castration (laughs) is is like. Like it's a metaphor. Yeah, it's, it's a metaphorical castration. And it is, in a weird way, it's sort of super appropriate because on the one hand, you get, you know, uh, you, you end up laying the groundwork to have Ben become more like, you know, angry and cold and gritty and the, all the ways that DeFalco sees, uh, you know, basically the, the, the weird collection of the, the Simonson FF is the bunch of angry jerks that they are. But also, it's, it, is, it's, it is the only proper way. It's the, one of the few places that you actually see, like, Ben Grimm used to be, like, the biggest hero in the Marvel Universe. And that day passed, and it, unsurprisingly, it passed when Wolverine showed up on scenes. Ben Grimm was originally uh, like kind of an angry. Well, he, he was, he was the Wolverine. Yeah, he he was the he was the Wolverine of his day, and that started off by him being both angry and also very identifiably blue collar. One of the things I think is really interesting is the way in which Marvel has their antiheroes pop up, and they are di- all they are distinctly blue collar dudes. You know, and Wolverine ends up out blue collaring uh, Ben. You know, Ben's got his like stogies, you know, Wolverine's smoking and drinking beer, you know, and flying over to Japan for sex. You know, everything that blue collar guys of the era were like doing at the time, you know. And so the fact that he literally sort of take takes the reins by, like I said, like, you know, what any good literature major would acknowledge is, you know, taking Ben's penis and, and cutting it off with his adamantium claws. But it's really just his face in a way that screws him up. And now Ben is cursed to basically be in 
um, the backseat. He's the guy who's now following in Wolverine's footsteps. It's kind of a, kind of a big moment, you know. It, it's it's also kind of amazing because Wolverine cuts Ben with his claws. Yeah, Ben is is driven into uh, you know a Ben Grimm version of a Berserker Rage, which yep. is he lashes out. Yep. Uh, in a way that terrifies everyone. Yep. Um, it's really the only the last time you'll see him do that. But what is fascinating to me is that the net few issues make a point of not showing you Ben's face mm-hmm. to imply that like it's this terrible, terrible thing. And then when they finally show you it, it's really not like it's it's it, it the mystery very much acts against the reveal. Yeah. So that when you see Ben's face, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, right. okay, like it just looks a little melty. Right. Um, but to the point where you know Ben's starting with the next issue starts wearing a helmet mm-hmm. because he's so horrified by his, his the way he looks and the I can't remember when this is I want to say it's maybe 378-379 he gets beaten up and he makes a comment along the lines of I can feel my face swelling against this helmet yeah yep the implication like being he's becoming more and more monstrous and it just they never sell it oh that's they so funny they never yeah. ever sell it yeah do you, do you, why do you disagree? Do you think? Oh uh, well, no, I don't think that they sell it. But I thought the swelling was very much because one of the there. So Wolverine cuts his face. There is actually a minor reveal here in three seventy five that's coming up, and it's so minor it's easy for you to forget about. But they do show his face after six pages of build up to it, and they don't land yeah, but that. that but that's just it. Like it's it's terrible. Yeah, it's exactly. Literally like. What if there's literally three lines down his face? Yeah, they literally, it's so bad, they try and do a do-over like three issues later. But in the course of it, one of the things that happens in 375 is Ben continues to take damage to his face, and it hurts him so much, he puts on the mask. And I feel like this might be the issue where he puts on the mask even and says, like... I can feel it swelling against, and I thought that he literally means the wounds. Is is that his face is so fucked up? Because I, I I feel like the idea is is that you're supposed to believe that like Wolverine tagged him so badly, he more or less tore off the rocks and cut the face, and essentially that that side of the face has been pulped and is not growing back. And as it takes more damage, the idea is by the time you see it in three seventy eight. It, the the ugliness factor has compounded, you know, because it's just been really fucked up without any attention, any medical care being paid to it. But, eh, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Again, it's this amazing thing where, kind of like the stuff with Sharon Ventura, DeFalco's clearly read the Engelhard stuff, or Ryan has, but there's no real acknowledgement. Like, we, if you've well, been reading like, this it, long, it, yeah. it's read it, but not understanding it. Yes, exactly. Like, oh yeah, sure, it, that happened, but I'm absolutely throwing out all of that stuff. It's like Englehart spends a shit ton of time of putting of basically having Ben Grimm be so broken, he's almost on the edge of ter- of being like a genuinely terrible person, and then he comes back from that, and he actually comes back from it to the point where he doesn't really, you know, it's like he doesn't care. He feels like he doesn't care so much that he's monstrous. But then when he's human, he's kind of relieved because he's like, it's natural, you know, it's like a more natural thing for him. But but it's just, it's kind of this weird thing of part of me is like, yeah, 
this is the worst way to get Ben to be grim and gritty. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you should take that character death that you got planned for 381 and and throw, you know, Alicia into the mix, you know? Because it's like, because it just, I don't know. For me, it's one of those moments that really doesn't sell, but I'm, I'm also fascinated by how much, when I read it in the comic, I'm like, oh, this is such a, a 90s moment, but it's such a derivative yes. 90s moment, which I thought yeah, was well, really fascinating. All, I would say all of these issues yes. are filled with those. Yeah. the This is such a 90s moment, but but again, it's just not sold well. There's there's nothing, uh, and this maybe might sound like a strange thing to say, there's nothing sincerely 90s about it. Mm-hmm. It is the work of two creators who i would say are at least a generation removed from the image creators looking at the books that are really hot Mm -hmm. and thinking oh sure i know how that works Mm -hmm. but actually not is that the case is ryan really that much older than the other image guys do you know defalco certainly i'll look it up up right now okay because that that is one of those things where part of me is like i wonder the extent to which ryan understands Dan's the oh, yeah. Thinking. Ryan was born in, in 49. 49. Okay, yeah. Then yeah. you're right. You're right. These are guys who really don't understand this stuff. So, wow. Hmm. I can see when, when Liefeld was born. 67. So, yeah, like we're talking, you know, mm-hmm. 18 years apart. But it would you not say like all of these comics feel like that? Oh, absolutely. Feel like someone who, mm-hmm. who is feel like people who are looking at these other comics going, oh, sure, it's that. I get that. Like, I know how to do that. Right. And just not only do they not, but also they don't really know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 all it's all it's all magic, Graham. It's all magic. 375, the 375th anniversary spectacular. This is not your parents' comic magazine, it says on the cover of 375, which is also a prism cover. Uh huh. Which, of course, it is. It's always darkest before the doom. Uh, Because, of course, what's very strange about 375 is the first page of 375 is the last page of 374. And I don't mean in the sense of it's a recap, I mean, it's literally the same page. Yep. Yep. Which is really odd. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it uh, makes you it makes you wonder if something got thrown out or they literally just decide cuz it's a pretty good recap page on its own. Admittedly, no, it does it, the it, trick. It works. Yeah. But it's it's also so strange to see literally the same page reprinted. Yep. Yeah. Uh but I guess it also might be that because the first original page in the the, the issue is a double page flash. Right. Of of the FF arriving in the Watcher's lair. The Watcher is the one who teleported them in the previous issue. He basically says, I brought you here because Dr. Doom's here. He's fucking shit up. And you guys need, can deal with Dr. Doom. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. Okay. You guys, like, don't mess up my place. I'm I'm going to go. Can, can you just, like, you know, just take care of it? It's, it's a bit of a problem. Me and Aaron, we're, we're going to disappear. And Sharon goes, oh, Ben, you keep on clutching your face. What's going up? And then helps him a lot by screaming, oh, my God, your face. <laughs> Which, you know, subtle, Sharon. Ben shows Sharon and the reader the face. And I'll put this in the show notes because, like I said, it really undersells. Like, if we're supposed to believe that this is something that is, is you know, really fucking Ben up. Mm-hmm. I can I can understand it in the sense of like it's very painful. Mm-hmm. 
because literally the idea is as shown that if his if his skin is the rocks, it is torn through that and it's 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 cut to the muscle underneath. Yeah. And the muscle looks not good, shall we say? Yeah. But at the same time, who even knows? Because like, who knows how the thing works? But it, as a, as a moment of grotesquerie, mm-hmm. it it just doesn't work. And yeah. to be fair, I'm not sure Ryan could sell a moment of grotesquerie. Yeah. I don't think it's in Ryan's wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it might just be that like this is as as grotesque as Ryan could get. I think that is it. I think Ryan's like ah, like I, again, Ryan bless his heart. This is a guy who's doing like. A severe, like a, a run on. He's co-plotting the books. He's been drawing it now for a good chunk of time. God bless him. It's just underwhelming. The guy just doesn't. He's he's really writing. He's he's drawing stuff that is outside his league for what he can do, which is fascinating because again, he's plotting it. Like it's he's he's got to be thinking, I'm nailing this. Like you know, he's well, that's like, just that. Like I really think he is. Yeah. And the problem being that Beesh, mm. he's not, and neither is DeFalco. But as you said before, DeFalco is also writing against yes. the 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 art in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You could even you can tell, for example, in the very next scene, which is is uh Doctor Doom flying around the Watcher's lair and and giving a monologue that you know, if if Ryan is genuinely trying to sell this as like this moment of like, look at Doom, he's surrounded by all those wacky things, DeFalco manages to like weirdly underwhelm that yeah. by giving the, the Doctor Doom a speech about how powerful he is now and how like fuck all this shit, he's super powerful. Yeah. And it it just the the cumulative effect is these this two page scene feels like filler. Um, which is a problem with a lot of this. You know, we're, we've been talking a lot about how all these scenes just feel weightless, and they, they all have exactly the same weight, which makes everything feel pointless. And and that's a lot of it. The, so, the, the two of them are speaking are, are working at such cross purposes. They are, because I actually I'm going to go one step further. I honestly believe that the way that Ryan had it had it set up plotting wise is is that uh, the Watcher pulls the FF to the blue moon to, to help him against doom. And in the act of doing so, he violates his act of non-interference. And so he and Aaron both get yanked away against his will. If you look at the page where he turns sparkly, he looks alarmed and surprised the way that DeFalco actually scripts it is DeFalco is after someone says like, oh, I, I may have I may have erred in my habits. Sue Richards is correct. While I'm not permitted to meddle with other people's races, I can't defend myself against doom. And then he's then weirdly goes like, I guess I'm as guilty as Aaron. It's like, why? You didn't get rid of doom yet. So he makes it sound like he brings the FF says that I don't really need you and now I'm disappearing to leave doom on its own it make that makes no sense if it's literally like I pulled you guys because I think I need your help and then he and Aaron both get yanked away and the FF are like oh fuck we're trapped with Dr. Doom on the blue area of the moon and by contrast Doom's flying around then makes sense because in Ryan's story he's like where is the watcher I'm trying to get to get fuck up the watcher so I can take his power 
and then I've got the you know I've got the power of two watchers but he can't find him you know and so and instead what you end up having is doom doomtificating you know as he flies around and 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 so it even though it's not really like a strong story point he does end up wiping out the reasons that they have him set up and I think I would even go one step further and maybe think that Ryan sets up the idea of like I'm going to take these robots of the watcher and program them to more or less help me look through this place to see if I can find this guy and then they end up fucking up the FF whereas in in DeFalco's version Doom's flying around saying like I'm all powerful I have so much power wait but I have to think eight steps ahead because I am doom. Let me reprogram these robots in case there's, you know, as a fail-safe plan. And you're like, how does that even work? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. What, wait, don't you have watcher power? Like, what? what is even happening here? Exactly. Yeah, and, and also, he, he reprograms the robots and then later in the issue goes after, like, Johnny Storm and Elijah himself. Yes, right? So, so again, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, I, as Doom is making no sense, as Ryan and, and Devalco are working cross purposes, the Inhumans show up because, of course, the Inhumans show up. Yeah. They they literally fall into mm-hmm. the Watcher's Lair, which is, of course, like paying off the thing that happened in God, at least an X Men comic, if not a Fantastic Four comic earlier, right? Absolutely, it starts off with the FF, and then it gets paid tribute to in the uh, Burn Claremont X Men, like one thirty seven. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then they pay it off again. The whole idea that the the walls of the Watcher's house are kind are not what they seem really, and they and they're so high futuristic that people just fall through them, even though they're actually still walls. Wow. So That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that happens. Cuts to Ben and Sharon are wandering around or attacked by robots that punches Ben exactly on the sore part of his face because. Like, of course it does. Like, nothing is subtle or mm-hmm. or even logical anymore. Yeah. Like, all of these things happen because the story demands they happen. And yep. that's that's actually a real problem with the book at this point. Mm-hmm. Nothing feels organic mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. At all. Yep. So, of course, Sharon is with Ben, first of all. Of course, after we cut from the scene, we cut to... Elijah and Johnny because again of course those two are together and of course they get attacked by Doctor Doom who disappears mm-hmm. uh, you know Reed and Sue are together but of course they are because the two of them are bickering mm-hmm. and it all feels just horribly unsubtle and inorganic and and pointless mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nothing about this comic feels real anymore yeah yeah you know uh i have skipped over the fact that matt murdoch's co-lawyer back on earth who i don't think we ever have seen before or uh, makio yakaki Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we've ever seen like we've seen we see her in this run of issues but i don't think like is she a daredevil character i have no idea yeah right Mm -hmm. to make a terrible deal with the university which is literally why don't you have all the fantastic world money and all their patents as well yes i mean jaw-droppingly bad yeah and you know in his defense matt murdoch's like that's a terrible idea yes um but you know what the fuck um 
there, there's that interludes, but then you're back and it's it's Doctor Doom fighting against Reed and Sue. Sue forms a force field and Doctor Doom is bombarding her with energy and and she she blacks out. And this this turns out to be important for again utterly inorganic reasons that are they're soon forthcoming. That cuts back to Franklin being Charlie X from Star Wars Star Trek again. Because yep. that's all he does now. He's frankly Yeah. He just like shouts and has glowing eyes and Agatha goes, mm-hmm. except this time he zaps Agatha and then gets very upset. Cut back to the the moon where Ben and Sharon have defeated a robot, but they're in, they are interrupted by the Inhumans. And then, oh God, Jeff, I'm losing the will to live. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It as, is so tough. As mm-hmm. They are then confronted by, uh, sorry, as as Elijah and Johnny and Reed and Sue are confronted by Doctor Doom and his robots. Uh, back in the Four Freedoms Plaza, a mysterious armored figure shows up and confronts Franklin, who is crying, and takes off his mask and goes, It's all right, Franklin. She's destined to live. Who are you? says Franklin. Someone who has always loved you, says Cable, slash, not really Cable, but really Cable. Yep. Cut back to Moonbase Alpha, where it's a big fight. And, you know, what the hell? It's a big fight, and Reed suddenly has a big gun which is a special battery that of course he's just constructed that he zaps doom with and doom wakes up and is like ah not a big enough gun i've still got powers and then the inhumans show up with ben and they're like well what if we have a fight as well and ben says what if i shoot you again with a gun and then sharon goes oh i'm supposed to be working with you but i I betray you because i'm in love with ben and ben's like you were working with with doom what no and then uh, to make matters stupider, Reed constructs another gun that says, Black Bolt, why don't you speak into this gun? And it'll channel your speaking powers and it'll zap Doom and give him more power and then it'll overload because that's what always happens. And sure, it happens and Sue uses her force fields and it's terrible and there's an explosion. And then the Watcher comes back and says nothing and teleports everyone back to Earth. The end, except it's not the end. Agatha gets up and goes, where's Franklin? Oh, shit. Here he is with Cable. Not Cable. It's Reed Richards' dad from the future. The end. Except again, it's not the end because this comic never ends. It is totally true. Yep. We get a phrase Lord of the Rings. It just never fucking ends. <laughs> As we see Doctor Doom in his armor go... They think I'm dead. I'm not dead. I don't have Watcher Power anymore, but I'll be back. And that is, mercifully, the fucking end. Well done, Graham. You, that was, like, seriously, world-class recapping. It's a horrible comic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, some interesting... Uh, the stuff here is not organic, but in terms no, of... They have things that they they want to do that they're trying to accomplish... Well, you know, yeah, like Ben is like throws on the helmet. He is in in a lot of pain and is like colder and has some more reasons, not just from the fact that he's ugly, but the fact that, you know, he feels that Sharon is working for Doom. And, you know, just as he kind of suspected and she kept insisting he wasn't, you know, but here's the thing. Again, we're talking about inorganic. We're talking about things not feeling like they have the proper weight. Yeah. That reveal mm-hmm. 
and re- Ben's response yes. is basically two panels. Yep. Yeah. See, the, it's actually everything is being so jammed. And again, I feel this is the attempt to try and match this whatever the 90s pacing is. Is is like there there are moments that should be big moments that are just jammed into smaller sizes so that you can have two or three of them. You not only have, you know, Ben putting on the mask and getting betrayed and and setting him up for his thing, but now you not only have super bitchy Sue, but you have bitchy Sue who has broken force fields. And it again, this is one way in which DeFalco and Ryan, even as they're, you know, sort of quote unquote doing, you know, talking about how they're supposed to be doing the classic Fantastic Four, they're actually taking away one of the safety nets for FF Comics. Like, I didn't even really realize it until the issues that follow this, but Sue's force fields have kind of become as much a generic all-purpose story oh, they, they, saver. They, they do everything. Yeah, like exactly. Like, Sue's force fields will save the day or at least save the moment Yeah, in almost every story. Exactly. At some point, she will need to use her force fields or she'll need to... Uh, turn someone invisible, and the idea that Sue's power is suddenly unreliable, yeah. is again should be a much bigger moment. Yeah, it but really should. Like like you, mm-hmm. you don't really. Or I didn't really realize it. It was happening until like two issues in. Yeah. Yep. And you're like, oh, that was the thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. I also I while I'm I'm complaining about how terrible this issue is, I do want to point out that the three seven five features the the image that I think sums up everything about the sort of grandpa-esque attempt at imageification mm-hmm. of the Fantastic Four, which is finally we get Johnny Storm as the Human Torch on fire wearing a jacket. He it Well, wearing a jacket in the same panel as um, Victoria's Secret Sue Richards and Reed firing big guns. Yeah, but if Sue is, uh, is to be fair... Also wearing a jacket. Well, yeah. I mean, they're all wearing jackets in, 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 totally, but um, yeah, no, the whole thing is uh, it's... it's ben, ben never got a jacket, and let's be honest, Ben is the one who would wear a jacket. Yeah, that is totally true. That is totally true. Um, yeah, you're right. In fact, the one character who's worn, if you count trench coats, has worn the most jackets in the entire run of the FF right? is clearly never Ben gets Grimm. Never Yeah, yeah. Shame. It's funny. I, I literally was just uh, saying, calling this imagification, and I was like, "Wait, no!" But it wasn't. It was the Avengers who were the jackets. Mm-hmm. Again, we are getting the FF just lifting from other books. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah, especially with this Nathaniel Richard stuff and what happens to Franklin, which holy shit, I did not see coming and was totally. Of, co- of course, you didn't see coming because it makes no sense. Yes. Yeah. It absolutely. Makes no sense. Again, these issues are staggeringly inorganic. Mm-hmm. One of the pluses, quote unquote, is that you can't really guess what's going to happen. Yes. Because when your story makes no sense, <laughs> you're always going to wrong foot the reader. Absolutely. It's not, a, it's not a bug, Graham. It's a feature. No, but that, that's just it. I think for them it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly think they're like, you know, no one will see this coming. And the reason no one is seeing it coming is it makes no sense. <laughs> no, but really, like, Sue, like, go back even. Sue discovering malice inside her head 
and going, that's right, I'll use you, yeah. makes no sense. Right. Johnny setting fire to the Empire State University makes no sense. Blah, I mean, I guess. I mean, part of me is kind of, you know, the thing that I think is interesting is, is for me, uh, him dry, destroying ESU was, was one of those little... I, again, it's like what the cool kids were doing. It strikes me as very much the sort of Grunwaldian, like, oh, the Marvel Universe has gotten a little too big and a little too, you know, there's too many frivolous things. Let's start not just putting the toys back in the toy box. Let's just start getting rid of these toys. And honestly... Well, they, they don't get rid of Empire State University because it then gets the fucking patents for the, the right, FF. Right, exactly. Like, it, it, it doesn't... Get it doesn't go. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. Well, because I think they decide like, oh, we've got to do we've got to take it a different way, which is which, again, is this in a way of making things a million more uh, more X-Men slash also rip off Terminator 2. Um, you know, it's really important that Reed Richards patents get out of his hands. And again, it's because of their terrible lawyer who is just following what the super aggressive Sue Storm is told her to do. Except you know? she's not. <laughs> no, because Sue basically said, like, do whatever you have to. Yes. Okay? Yes. But this lawyer went, like, didn't do anything reasonable. Well, come on, This lawyer Graham. just immediately... No, but this lawyer immediately just went to, what if I give you my house? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. It's totally like, okay... I right, here's my deal that I that my my client is willing to give you all their money everything all their <laughs> inventions all future rights in perpetuity that's my opening deal take it or leave it you know you're kind of like Ugh, what a haggler let me tell you don't want to run up against this one in the courtroom do you Matt so yeah that's that is amazing and that is where we will leave part one with part two also currently available if everything has gone right. Uh, in the next part, we will go through issues 376 to 381, and we will do so faster than we've done these five issues because it's taken us a long time, and I apologize profusely. As always, thank you for listening. Go and listen to the next part. <laughs>